Let's take our Bibles tonight, please turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be there and then in 2 Peter as well. We're just going to start here in 2 Timothy. And, uh, you know, as, I was, as you're turning there, I'll share a testimony about that song. The author of that song was a fellow by the name of Joseph Habedonk. I'm not sure if I'm even saving, saying that right. Joseph Habedonk, you may have seen him or heard him sing. He used to sing with a group called the Perrys, a family group, and now a soloist. Um, how many of you remember a couple years ago, we had a young couple at our anniversary service, Mike and Mackenzie Matero. You remember the young couple? They just stood at the piano and sang and played piano. That's Mackenzie's cousin. Joseph Habedonk's her cousin. And um, he wrote also, I believe he wrote, If You Knew Him Like I like I know him, the song that the trio just sang before that. He and I believe Rodney Griffin wrote that song together. And the story of uh, Joseph Hobdonk's life is he had a surgery at some point and got addicted to painkillers. And it destroyed his life, destroyed his marriage. And yet God restored him. And God brought him back to a point where he could be songwriting and, and ministering to people again. And I just... I just I can't believe the, how amazing God's grace is to rescue sinners like us each and every day, to take a life that was seemingly destroyed. Satan thought he had the victory, but God won again. Amen? And uh, there's always scars. There's always scars. But thank God for his grace that he can restore a life and we can hear these songs tonight. I wasn't sure even how to introduce the last song since I saw it on the schedule. I've been looking forward to it. I really enjoy that song. You'll find that you're forgiven again. And boy, do we ever need that. So, amen. Let's look in the Bible tonight, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, I know that we have a business meeting to follow, our annual general meeting. Um, Just for those that hate meetings... And we can tell by the attendance tonight that that's, that's sometimes true. Uh, this will be the shortest AGM we ever had because we do not have deacon elections this year. Um, I, I hope and pray that you understand that um, with everything being pushed back and forth as far as dates and times. Anybody we elected now might be done by May already. And so we thought that was a little bit difficult to have such a quick transition uh, because hopefully next year we'll be back online and we'll have our annual meeting at the end of May like we typically do. And so uh, just kind of made a decision to let that go for this uh, this time period uh, since it's just another seven or eight months and we'll be into the spring again. Huh? How many of you would like to skip winter and just go right into the spring? I don't want to lose the time. Days are becoming more precious as we get older, but uh, I'd sure like to skip winter. That would be nice. I'm more of a three-season kind of guy. But look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Let's pray together. Father, help us as we examine the word of God tonight on this topic of false prophets. Lord, we live in a day and age where, uh, forgive me for saying that, for 2,000 years we lived in a day where Satan would seek to destroy the church. Lord, we know that his ways are subtle and he's seeking whom he may devour. And Lord, we know that 
The Bible tells us that evil men have crept in unawares. Lord, may we be aware, may we be wise. Uh, uh, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you'd help us to take heed to the scriptures tonight that might help us identify and help us to be careful and wary of those that would seek to destroy God's great church. So, Lord, I pray that you'd give wisdom now. May the Holy Spirit of God help us through these many verses we'll look at tonight. I pray that you'd fill me. Lord, I pray that you'd use this time in the Word of God to strengthen our church for your glory. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Timothy 3, we've referred to this passage of Scripture many, many times over the years. And I'm going to dispense with any introduction just so that we can get through our message tonight and try to, to come to an understanding of what it means to take a proper stand against false prophets in the church. Now, notice what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It promises that in the last days, perilous times shall come. And in verse 5, we, we read for several verses, 2, 3, and 4, uh, it talks about their behavior. Perhaps even the root of their behavior. For the men shall be lovers of themselves and they'll be covetous. And as a result of covetousness, we will see in 2 Peter that they will make merchandise of men. They're taking advantage of people. They're trying to line their own pockets, if you will, as they have a spirit of covetousness. They are boasters, they're proud, they're blasphemers, they're disobedient to parents, they're unthankful, they're unholy. But the Bible sums it up this way in verse 5. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. I would dare say that's likely how they get into local churches. They have a form of godliness. Something that appears Christ-like in their life. Something that if we were to look at them from the, from the naked eye, we could not tell the difference of anybody else. They look and smell and talk and perhaps even behave for the most part like a child of God, but their hearts are corrupt. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. In other words, they don't have the spirit of God. That's where the power of a Christian comes from, is the indwelling spirit of God in their lives. And so the Bible says when we come across those kind of people, he says, for such turn away. Uh, that's a difficult thing in this day of grace, isn't it? We have to be very careful that we are showing grace balanced with truth, that we show love balanced with truth. And some, I, I think it was dare say that a lot of times we've gone in one ditch or the other. We're all law. This is right. This is wrong. This is black. This is white. And we show no grace to an offender. But then this, the opposite is true, where we all we do is show grace, and there's never any discipline. There's never anything to bring that offender back to the Lord. There's nothing that would, uh, is, is it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, to turn them over to the world that they might be buffeted for their sins. And, and so we need to have the right balance. We need a balance of grace and truth. And this day of grace, it's difficult for us to say, well, I'm going to, I can't turn away. The Bible says they have a form of godliness, but they do not have the power thereof. They truly are not believers. And I, I would say to you, if you run into them in a restaurant, it'd be fine to say hi and sit and have a coffee. That would be okay as well. But we cannot let them teach and influence the local church. This is Christ's church. It belongs to him. And so from those types of things, we must 
turn away. The passage continues to describe them in verse 6. It says, For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts. There's an assumption that is made in verse 6 that most of these false prophets are men because they lead captive silly women. There's an influence there, but it's an illustration that's being used. In other words, they influence those who are easily influenced. I really believe, and I want to enforce in your hearts tonight, that we must be like the Bereans of old and search the scriptures daily to be sure that what these prophets are saying is really true. Because we can also be so easily led astray. The Bible says there's a man of sin that is coming, and that if it were possible, he would deceive the very elect. Those who are saved, those who are grounded in the word of truth, they could be deceived as well by listening to that deceiver. Look down in verse 13. I will not read all the passage, but the Bible says in verse 13 that evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Look what it says, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 13 states that they are evil and they are seducers. That's the description of a false prophet. This passage says much more about them, but it reveals their motive and their behavior towards God's church. Now, before the Apostle Paul made these prophetic observations, the Lord Jesus Christ also gave warning. He said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, and I would encourage you to write down some of these verses tonight. We won't have the time to turn to every page. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. It almost sounds like what Paul was saying. They have a form of godliness. They look like sheep, but they're denying the power thereof. In other words, what's inside is not what's matching the outside. Inside, they are ravening wolves. Covetous, proud, blasphemer, seducers, and deceivers. We have to be very careful. Deception is their method and destroy is their ultimate goal. The Apostle Paul would further reinforce the Lord's doctrine. And if you would, turn to uh, the book of Galatians. Turn to Galatians. We're going to read this passage. Some of these are very important to the context of the lesson tonight. So look at Galatians chapter 6. Or sorry, Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Right after 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ. And God the Father who raised him from the dead. Jump down to verse 6. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Well, those some are false prophets. They are teaching a false gospel. They are perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say hi now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant 
of Christ. If we're going to please God, we cannot worry about men that might be offended because we call them out for false doctrine. He says, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are false prophets out there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we read in verses 12 through 14 that it speaks of false apostles. Twice, it talks about false apostles. And by the way, there are plenty of false apostles today. You say, how do you know? Anybody that calls themselves an apostle is false. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 that they were looking for another man to replace Judas And he had to be a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul the apostle himself said this, I am an apostle, but I am born out of due time. In other words, I wasn't born when all these other apostles were born, but it is true to this fact that Paul witnessed the risen Savior on the road to Damascus. And that was the saving grace that allowed him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. There are no apostles today. I don't care what they say in Elmer. There are no apostles today. And so we must make that very clear. And with the apostles, certain gifts died with them. There are false apostles in the world today. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, and Galatians 2, chapter 4, speaks of false brethren. You remember that Timothy was a Gentile. And the Bible says that false brethren spied out his liberty. I'm not sure how that happened, but they found out that Timothy was not circumcised, and so Paul circumcised him and took away his liberty. A false brethren. Boy, we worry about our liberties today. Can you imagine going through that just so that you could be right with other men? Incredible. But it was as the result of false brethren. Revelation chapter 16, verse 13 reminds us one day, that the false prophet, we have many false prophets in the world today, but that the false prophet of the end times revelation is filled with evil spirits. The Bible talks about the spirits that would come out of him. I can't help but that's to think, but that spirit of Antichrist is also present in false prophets today. Turn, if we will, to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to settle in here a little bit this evening for a few moments. As we consider this message, beware, beware. Second Peter chapter 2, we will not read the whole chapter again. Our time I, goes so quickly. I, I, I can't believe how quickly time goes. Look with me, if you will, in verse 1. It says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels to sin, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a person of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example of those that after should live ungodly. 
and deliver just law, vexed with filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful needs. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and reserve the unjust on the day of judgment to be punished. I want you to notice back in verse 1, we see, first of all, tonight a visionary prediction. A visionary prediction. Notice what Peter the Apostle says to these saints that are scattered abroad. There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. When he's talking about there were false prophets, what period of time is he speaking of? Is he speaking of when the church first established? Is he talking about 30 years into the ministry we began to see these weeds creep in and take over the church? I want you to notice what he says in chapter 1. If you'll back up to verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not when? In old time, by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. But there were false prophets also among the people. He's not speaking of a New Testament period. He's referring to all the way back, as long as there's been God's word, there's been false prophets. In the Old Testament... And in the New Testament. And there will be again, he says. Think about this. The very first false prophet arose in the Garden of Eden. Yea, hath God said. There was the first. And ever since there has been again. And Peter makes a prediction. Oh, there's been false prophets all along. And there will be again. There shall be false teachers among you. I want you to notice as he speaks of these false preachers in verse 1, we see some things about them. Number one, we see they are deceitful teachers. The Bible says that uh, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destructions. I notice that word privily. Privily. You know what that means? It means privately. It means quietly. It means that they will take one aside and try to talk to them. And say, you know, Peter's not preaching just right. Here's, here's what the Lord has shown me. This is what God has placed upon my heart. And who does he think that, that, that even just because he's an apostle and God has revealed things to his heart and he's actually writing scripture by the inspiration of God, he's limiting me. And so let me tell you what God has laid upon me. And they take people aside privily, then they take another, then another, and soon enough they gather a crowd. It's deceitful. They're deceitful in their approach as teachers, and we see that as a result, they bring in damaging training. The Bible says here that they, they shall bring in damnable heresies. And we're going to look at that word damnable in just a moment. But how many of you just get the idea from the word damnable? That's, that's bad. If we were to shorten that word, it'd be a cuss word. We would, we would feel that way about it. We don't like that word. I, I was preaching one time on profanity and taking the Lord's name in vain, and my wife got home in the car, and she was so mad at me. She says, you cussed so many times in the pulpit today. I said, hon, I was just trying to tell what the Bible says. 
We don't like those words. Damnable heresies. We know from that that there's something wrong. Heresy means against God's word. It is untruth. It's a lie. But damnable adds to it that it is condemned to hell. That is from the very pits. How many of you ever heard somebody say, well, that's a lie from the pits of hell? That's how we say damnable heresies. A lie from the pits of hell. So they are deceitful teachers that bring in damaging training. And, but look at this where it progresses to. They deny the truth. Notice what it says. Bringing in damnable heresies. Even denying the Lord that bought them. Isn't that sad? Listen, you and I can disagree on a lot of things, but the moment we start getting into the field where we say, well, you know, I, I don't know if, if the blood is necessary to take away my sins. We're in trouble. The moment we cross that line and saying that Jesus was just a good man, he was not the son of God. I don't believe in the virgin birth, and I don't believe in the blood atonement, and I don't, I don't believe in the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross of Calvary. We have crossed the line. And we can disagree on a lot of things, but the Bible says that these evil teachers will creep in, and they'll be deceitful, and they'll, they'll bring in damnable heresies, and they'll get to the point where they even deny the Lord that bought them. I think about how the Lord's heart must break when the Bible says he bought them shed his blood for them. You understand that that's where a lot of churches are today. Over the years of compromise and trying to pad their numbers, trying to reach more people, perhaps even through mergers and satisfying two different groups, they've watered down their doctrine. And heresy has crept in. To the point where they even deny the Lord Jesus Christ and they're nothing more than a social club. That's what a false teacher will do. And you say, why are we worried about false prophets? We have... No, no, listen. It can happen anywhere when we let our guard down. Anywhere. I don't know about you, but I don't want to run into a wolf. If I wrote, if I wrote walking in the woods... I, several years ago, we were out in British Columbia. I guess 11 years ago now, we were with the Rutherfords and... Uh, the Felder's son-in-law and daughter, and we went hiking, and we climbed a mountain. And Barry says, you're not going to make it all the way to the top. I said, huh. I didn't like that. And so we got, we got going up, and there was a lookout. And the reason he said that, he wasn't trying to be mean. He's saying, we've never made it to the top. We've, we've gone part way, and then the next time we went a little bit further, and the next time, and he, said, he says, these are mountains. They're not hills like you got. These are mountains. And he says, so we're going to, we just go a little bit each time, and we're conditioning ourselves, and we're going further. And they, and they did. They got to the top finally. And, and so he says, but I don't expect you guys will be able to get there the first time. Well, the kids could. We got up, and we, we come around this bend, and there was a lookout on the trail, so we stopped and we looked at this lookout for a little while and they said, well, we're going to go on. And I said, okay, I, I just wanted to take a couple pictures and I was wanting people out of there so I could get some pictures. So they, they, they went back and I said, I'll catch up with you in a minute. And when I went up, I didn't know they were going back down. So I kept going up and I got all the way to the top. And uh, yeah, woohoo, right. <laughs> I was dying. I'm going to be honest with you. And then I heard them yelling, 
And they're yelling my name, and, and uh, so I'm up there, and I, I said, I'm up here, you know, and so they came up, and they, they made it. They, first time they got up there, too, and, and beautiful sights. Brother Barry thought that I'd been taken by a cougar because I did not come down with them. I didn't know they'd gone one way, and I just went up. I didn't know they'd gone down. He was genuinely concerned that a cougar had got me. And I said, I didn't know there was cougars up here. You better believe I'd been down. I don't want to run into a wolf or a lion. That's a scary thing. You ever, have you ever been frozen in your tracks by some wild animal? I don't. How many of you see a snake and get scared? The Bible says that these, these are really wolves. They're not sheep. So yes, we need to preach. We need to warn. We need to be careful because these are deceitful teachers who bring in damaging training and they deny the truth. And I believe it's progressive. Notice the second thing. We see a visionary prediction, but we see a veiled prophecy. A veiled prophecy. But verse 2 says, And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. There's a prophecy here as well, and I want to show you what it says. First thing I see is a twofold condemnation. I'll get to the twofold part in a minute, but think about this a twofold condemnation. You see, where are you getting that? The word damnable heresies. Damnable heresies. A twofold condemnation. Then I see, I'm just going to list these real quick, then we'll talk about it. A twofold corruption. Notice what it says. At the end of verse 2, or verse 1, bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves, look at that next phrase, swift destruction. Swift destruction. A twofold condemnation and a twofold corruption. Number three, a twofold contamination. Notice what it says in verse 2 and many shall follow their pernicious ways. You say, where are you getting this? Listen, there's a Greek word. Apuleia, Apuleia, it is used three times. How many of you realize when God repeats himself three times, he means business? Those three times are the words damnable, destruction, and pernicious. God says three times. There's condemnation, there's corruption, there's contamination. When a false prophet comes in, there's, there's something that's going to take place that's going to destroy. But here's, here's the good news. It will destroy him. It says he will bring the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. But here's the other problem. It'll also destroy the church. That's why it's twofold. God will get them. You can be sure of it. It is God's church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. God will take care of it, but it can also destroy his church or a lot of his believers because many shall follow their pernicious ways. I don't know about you. I know that in the end, God's church will win, but I sure don't want to lose anybody to a wolf. You think about that. My mom sent me a family tree of the McCarty family that settled in Norfolk or Nanticoke, the town of Nanticoke out by Stelco. And uh, it said that when they came in about 1780, they had to board up their doors and windows every night because of cougars and wolves 
I didn't know that was in this area at one time. I suppose urban sprawl has pushed them north. Cougars and wolves, they had to board up their windows and doors. I can imagine if they survived a winter, well, how did you make out? Well, you know, we only lost one of the 11 kids. That wouldn't be a good winter, would it? I mean, we were boarding it up, but it was a little bit late, and a wolf came and grabbed little Mary, and we don't know where she is. You wouldn't consider that a good... I don't want anybody to fall. I don't want a wolf to get in and hurt anybody in this church. And so we preach and we teach against false prophets. There's a visionary prediction and there's a veiled prophecy. But I want you to see, thirdly, he is a vicious predator. I think I'm almost saying the same thing in three different ways, but I want you to get it into your hearts tonight. He is a vicious predator. Notice verse 3. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. First of all, we see he has a spirit of covetousness. This reveals his motive. He's in it for himself. I don't know how he would make money. We, we often think of that word covetous as trying to hoard something to ourselves or gain something off the backs of others. I'm not sure how they would always gain money off of somebody if they came into our local church. But there are a lot of false prophets out there making millions upon millions of dollars. But this I know, they're not in it to help you. The Bible says they're covetous, they're in it for themselves. And so we see that there's a spirit of covetousness which reveals his motive. Then we see there's a spirit of craftiness. The Bible says, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words. That reveals his message. Feigned words are crafty words. That's literally the definition of it. Crafty in nature, manipulative. Trying to steer people to their way of thinking through craftiness. It reveals his message. His message may not clearly reveal his motives. He's never going to come and say, well, I'm preaching and teaching this because I have an ulterior motive. But his motive will clearly be addressed by his message. He'll be trying to reach his end game. So we must be very careful because he with feigned words, look what it says next, make merchandise of you. You know what? I don't even have to look that up to know that I don't like how that sounds. Do you? How many of you have ever had a telemarketer call? Yeah? They want to make merchandise of you. How many of you like that feeling? They always do it right at supper time, don't they? You're trying to eat. They want to make merchandise of you. These late night shows that are selling stuff. Shopping channel and all that. Now, if you've got a room full of shopping channel stuff, I'm not preaching at you. I'm just saying... Sometimes these things want to make... Here's here's a great example. When you go to the fair. I'm not against the fair. Well, I kind of am, whatever. But the kids always want that souvenir, right? And it's broken before they get home. They spend $83 on that toss-a-ring game to get a 17-cent rubber duck. I guarantee those Midway guys are there to make merchandise of you. To take advantage of you. That's what a false prophet's trying to do. Listen, you know those guys out there. I mean, hey, they're having kids kids go, they have fun. You may have fun tossing rings on a Coke bottle, get winning a goldfish, putting in one of the ping pong balls. I don't know. 
You may enjoy that. And if, it's time, if you enjoy that and enjoy that, with your, that's fine. But I'm just saying, those guys never lose money. <laughs> the house always wins at the end of the day. You understand what I'm saying? False prophets are here to make merchandise of you. They're here to take advantage with feigned words and covetousness. It's a spirit of covetousness, a spirit of craftiness. And to make merchandise of, I call it a spirit of cruelty. They're there to take advantage deceptively of people to receive personal gain through manipulation. That reveals his method. But here's what I want to tell you tonight. And here's what's important we have a vengeful protector. A vengeful protector. Look at verse 3. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not. And their damnation slumbereth not. Yes, they bring in damnable heresies and their ways are pernicious ways, but hey, their judgment, it lingereth not. And their damnation, it slumbereth not. God is going to have the final say. And notice what he says, For if God spare not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell and deliver them to change the darkness reserved unto judgment, and spare not the old world, but save Noah, and on and on it goes, in Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 6, and deliver just Lot in verse 7. Look at verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. God is in control. We have a vengeful protector. And I want you to notice a couple things very quickly. We see a definite revelation. The Bible says, Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. There is no mincing of words here. God will protect his church. There is judgment for the false prophet and condemnation. A definite revelation and a dark reminder. A dark reminder is, He spared not the angels. He spared not Sodom and Gomorrah. He saved Noah out of a wicked and ungodly world. And then we see a delivered remnant. Look at verse 7. He delivered just Lot. Lot was in the middle of that city, surrounded by wickedness and filth. And God is able to reach in and deliver him. And he can do the same for you. He spared Noah. Among a dark and ungodly and an unrighteous world. And he pulled him out of that place. A delivered remnant. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. And to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment. Turn if we will to 1 John chapter 4 and we'll try to wrap this up. God will take care of his church. The final point was entitled a vengeful protector, but I could have easily entitled it a victorious protector. So let me ask you this. Since God will ultimately win, should we just sit back and do nothing about false prophets? Absolutely not. Notice what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already 
is it in the world? You're of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Here's some tests for you. How do we know a false prophet? And what do we do? First of all, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, what are we supposed to do? From such turn away. Why? Because they're ravening wolves. We've talked about their damnable heresies and the, the prophecies that surround them all through Second Peter, but notice what he says in First John chapter 4. First of all, the test of skepticism. The test of skepticism. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they're of God. I think the danger sometimes is every time we see somebody on TV and they got a Bible in their hands, we say, oh, this must be good. Let me warn you of something. Almost 50% of the programs that you'll go home tonight, Sunday nights they have a lot of Bible programs on, almost 50% are Seventh-day Adventists. Almost 50%. Doug Batchelor, you ever seen him? He's a smart guy. Incredible Bible teacher. Seventh-day Adventist. And a lot of the other ones are the Worldwide Church of God of Prophecy. They don't put that on their program, but they have several, several programs. Seventh-day Adventists believe that if you do not believe that Ellen G. White is the spirit of prophecy, you cannot be saved. That's what they believe. It says it in their doctrines and covenants. Just because somebody's holding a Bible does not mean they're teaching the truth. Be skeptical. Listen, I don't expect anybody to come into our church. I, years ago, I was really thankful, and this has happened a couple times. I went to a, uh, my, my uh, wife's grandfather passed away, and I was asked to come down and say a few words at the funeral and sing, and so I did. And when I got there, the, the fellow that was doing the bulk of the funeral, he administered to the family in the hospital and such, was a Baptist pastor, and he came over, and he was, I mean, he was checking me out. He says, what are you going to say? What scripture are you going to use? What do you believe about that passage? And he was just feeling me out, and it didn't bother me at all because I thought, he's the officiant of this funeral, and he wants to make sure I'm not going to get up and say something heretical. That's not the first time that's happened. When Jim Wilson's father passed away, Gardner Wilson, I, I, I shared the funeral with Mark Bertrand from Walsh Baptist Church. They'd grown up in that church, and, and so Brother Bertrand called me. He says, hey, can I talk to you? And I said, sure, and he came over, and we had a coffee, and he says, uh, are you going to preach the gospel? What do you believe about the gospel? And he put me through the ringer. And I liked it. Because I wanted to know who I was preaching with. Listen, we got to be careful of false prophets. Be skeptical. Listen, the first time you hear something, or see, don't, don't just swallow it hook, line, and sinker. Be like the Brians of old and open your Bible and make sure that these things are so. Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they're of God. Many false prophets are gone out in the world. So the test of skepticism, number two, the test of the spirit. What are they confessing? That reveals the spirit that they have. 
Notice what it says in verse 2. Hereby know we the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come to the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come to the flesh is not of God. And that is not the Spirit of Antichrist. Listen, I believe that when, when John is saying this, he is speaking of a summary statement. He's saying, I believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. And when he says that, he's saying, I believe he was born of the Virgin Mary. I believe he lived an impeccable, perfect life. I believe he died on the cross to shed the blood for our sins. I believe he was the God in the flesh. He has come. That's what I believe. And if they cannot confess that, they are false prophets. They are false prophets. So the test of the Spirit. But number three, and by the way, this is probably the easiest one. The test of Scripture. The test of Scripture. Does it line up with the Word of God? Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Look back and we're done. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. I promise you it'll be the shortest meeting we've ever had. You'll be fine. Take a deep breath. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 13. You remember how that chapter started? This is the same chapter. This knowing also in the last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of themselves. They'll have a form of God, then it's verse 5, but deny the power thereof. They're going uh, to lead people astray. Verse 6, 13, they will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But here's the answer. But continue thou, you, in the things which thou hast learned, Timothy, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Well, why? Paul, why should, why should I believe the holy scriptures? Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. A lot of people say, well, you know the scripture? That's my final authority for faith and practice. But that implies there's some other authority. It is the only rule for faith and practice. That's where we, we measure everything by the word of God. Be careful what you're listening to. Beware of false prophets. Once they're clearly identified, the Bible is very plain from such, turn away. Have nothing to do with it any longer. They will seduce you. They'll deceive you. You said, oh, but you know, I'm grounded enough. I can, I can listen to a little bit of it. The Bible says there's going to one day come a false prophet who would deceive the very elect if it were possible. Why bother putting yourself in that position? Beware of false prophets. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your protection of us through your holy word but it's only if we obey it will we find ourselves standing upon the solid rock of God help us to take this warning tonight and take heed and apply it to our lives we pray well thank you in Jesus name amen let's do this tonight let's stand we won't labor for long in the invitation but could I ask you just take a couple minutes and would you pray right now and ask God to build a hedge of protection around our church that it will always be a church that preaches truth and preaches the word of God. And that we would have the wisdom to know when a false prophet is getting through the door. And we as a church would push them out, turn them away. 
We'll stand for truth. Would you pray?